There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to make work a rich and compelling part of life so employees thrive, give their best performance, and want to stay. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, developing workforces across the globe. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact contact me feature to message me. And let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn how the Vitally Inspired Living and Leading from Purpose Leadership Program or Consulting can help you develop you and your team's efficacy in motivating your people to give their best while creating a meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online community to stoke your own passion, inspiration, or purpose discovery, or provide this as a gift and benefit to your team. You want to learn more or recommend a woman to submit her story to the women's anthology I'm curating, collecting stories from women across the globe up to something. It's called Passionately Striving in Why, Women Who Persevere Mightily to Live Their Purpose. Or finally, if you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. Now, on to this week's program. With us today is Chris Dunn, who is a partner and chief human resource officer at Kinetics, a national RPO recruiting firm headquartered in Atlanta. He's also the founder of two industry-leading blogs, Fistful of Talent and the HR Capitalists, and has written over 100 feature columns at Workforce Management Magazine. He's built a training program for managers of people from the ground up called BOSS, Leadership Skills for the Modern Manager. We'll be talking about his business and his thought leadership, his passion to build great managers, and his perspective on finding Meaningful work. Chris joins us today from Birmingham, Alabama, where he's on site with a client. Chris, welcome to Working on Purpose. Elise, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. I don't even have to go to your website and, and click the contact me button, right? Because No, you've got a special you pass. Yeah, you got a special I'm, pass. I'm here with you now. That's all that matters. I don't uh, I don't need to go, although I will. I'm thank you for that. that out for sure. Thank yeah. you for that. And I've known you for years, Kristan, and you know, That's really right. you've been a man about the planet. And I've always I've always known you as a business and a thought leader. That's just really who you are to me. I mean, you've led HR departments. That's when I first met you at several companies and invested in nine years ago, I think it was, joining founder Shannon Russo and what you're up to today. So right. let's let you in with our, the rest of our listeners. I know you, but they don't. So tell us a sure. little bit about Kinetics. Why are you part of it and what does it do? Yeah, so Kinetics is an RPO firm. And what that means is we do recruitment process outsourcing for companies that, that need help. So at least if you think about it, most people know recruiting as single position search. So think about that model and then just really put it on steroids. What RPO means is that for a lot of companies, if they're struggling in one section of hiring or another, we will actually go in and be a recruiter of record. So our recruiters work 
under the company's brand. They recruit with this, that client company's email addresses. And most of the time, we do that in conjunction with an existing talent, talent acquisition recruiting team. We just become more capacity to help leaders and companies get the talent that they need. So we're very much in the recruiting industry, but RPO and what I just described is really our, our flavor. Mm-hmm. Chris, you're reminding me when we did cross paths, I was uh, in my recruitment part of my career, and that's how I started Human Capital some 20 years ago. And you know what I loved right. about being a recruiter was, one, you got to be intimately part of people's lives, their hopes, their dreams, what they wanted to do with their lives and their work. Um, and you got to be an, an ambassador on behalf of the company. I loved it. It was great gobs of fun for me. Yeah, and what I would tell you, Elise, is that one of the reasons I made the decision to, to invest in kinetics and in joining Shannon Russo is as an HR leader, you know, everything you just described was true for me. I like the, the best time of my week, you know, the best time of my day, although I didn't certainly didn't do it every day, but the best part of my week multiple times a month is when you hire the right person, when you're involved in a, in a, in a great hire and you know, it can be transformational for a department, for a leader, for the company, there's no better feeling, right? It's the closest thing to sales recruiting is yep. that you'll find kind of in the human capital space, unless you're an entrepreneur like yourself and you actually like sell services. If you're working inside a company and you're in the human capital space, recruiting, great recruiting is sales. And I just love that connection and finding that right fit and closing that relationship and getting people to sign on. Nothing better, like you mm. said. Mm-hmm. Completely with you. So given that you've been at this for quite some time, Chris, and you, you really do work at what you, your thought leadership and, you know, all the writing that you do and such. And so I wanted you to, I asked you to think about a couple of big lessons you've learned over your career as a business leader and, and now an owner that have made a sizable difference to your success. What would you tell us? Oh, well, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. You know, what, what I would say is, you know, what's been effective for me, and certainly this comes through and a lot of the writing I do, is I think, you know, being an authentic um, person and letting people inside the veil and understand, like, what makes me tick as a leader, as a manager, talking openly and honestly, always being transparent, or certainly trying to be as transparent as I can. You know, there's no such thing as 100% transparency because you can't give all the people the information all the time. But I think just being authentic, like in being honest with people and telling people how I felt good, bad, and ugly, but also trying to build people up as you share that information and tell them how they connect to the mission in question, how they can help you make a difference, how or why it's important, what you can do to help them achieve a different level in their career I think just speaking to all those things, Elise, with a lot of authenticity, you know, you don't have to do it. You know, if I, if I had a recommendation for anybody, I would say find that level of authenticity and practice it. And you don't have to do it like Elise. You don't have to do it like Chris. Find it within who you are and how you identify with the world around you, but be authentic to that. And I think when you're authentic with people, people naturally, the right people naturally gravitate towards you. So if you give people a glimpse to who you are as a leader and what's important to you, what you're all about, what you can do for them, what I love about this is that the people 
that are most gettable for that message are going to naturally be attracted to working with you. And subsequently, at least the people that maybe aren't a great fit for you, if you're transparent and you're authentic, they're going to sense that and they're going to opt out before you even have to make a decision about whether to hire them. And so I think that authenticity and transmitting that is really key, certainly been a key for me. And I think it's key for any, any leader as well. And again, you don't have to do it like Elise or Chris, do it like you, but transmit those signals because it's really going to be the core to a lot of the success you have. If you hide from that, Elise, I think that's where you get in trouble and you'll, you'll miss more often than you should in the hiring process. And then you'll have to make a lot of tough decisions when, when people join your team. I completely agree with you, Chris, and align with you on that. And for you listeners who are saying, yeah, but, you know, people really knew me when I get to keep my job. And <laughs> I, I just really want to I really want to just uh, address that because I, I coach a lot of people, men and women. And they, you are you tell me you're afraid to be really who you are in your roles and within your when you're within your organization. So I hope you'll take Chris's advice to heart. Hey, at least can I say one more thing? Yeah, please. One, one more thing about that, Elise, and I'll be brief so we can get on to the other things you want to talk about is there, there's a sliding scale of authenticity based on the, the organization you work for. So when you're coaching um, clients, Elise, somebody working at a very conservative company, authenticity means something different yes. than it well, does at a startup um, or in the software industry, et cetera, et cetera. We give like a hundred different examples but even if you're working for the most conservative company ever and you think you have risk, just by being a little more authentic, you don't have to be at Google, you don't have to be in the Bay Area to be authentic. You can be authentic based not only on who you are, but in the circumstances you're in. You can be more authentic than the other managers and leaders at that very conservative company without taking a lot of risks. Do you agree? That was- yeah, and that was a fantastic clarification. I think that will help our listeners tremendously, Chris. Thank you. That was that was awesome. I gave you way extra points for that. Thank you so much. Um, you you can call me anytime you want now, see? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so you, kind sir, in the work that you do and the business that you run and the various roles that you've had have had a pretty interesting seat at the table, I think. And so from that vantage point, I would love for you to share what do you think some of the most pressing issues business leaders are facing today? What have you What have you seen, heard, or know? Well, I mean, it's peak economic cycle. So, you know, we're in this incredible economic cycle, knock on wood. You know, I hope there's not a recession around the corner. We're taping this in December of 2019. Um, and certainly there will be one at some point. So just the cycle we're in, trying to find the right talent, for any team has to be one of the biggest issues that the leaders have. I think the, the other thing, at least and I'd be interested to get your opinion on this is it's one thing to be effective at finding the talent you need. It's the other thing to really, you know, attract and be able to attract the right type of talent. That's really transformational to what you can do with your business. So when I think about, like the most pressing issues that a leader would face today. It's not only, Hey, I, I've got to get these jobs filled on my team and in my company, and I've got to find enough talent, but then I've also got to make, make sure, especially in the right spots that I've got transformational talent that matches where I'm going 
maybe rather than where I am, you know, at this point on a Tuesday in December. So I think it's one thing, it's challenging enough just to find enough talent to scale an organization and make sure you have what you need. But then it's like, you know, the transformational talent that's really going to help you go 2X, 3X, 10X, whatever it is, whatever your goal is, finding the transformational talent where you don't have to tell someone what to do. They're capable not only of doing the job, but they're also capable of charting the path forward. That's the type of talent that all of us need. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a barrier to figure out what does that look like. And once you define what that transformational talent looks like, how do you go get it? And by the way, Elise, and I'll throw it back to you, that's directly linked to you being authentic in a lot of your messaging, both inside your company and outside your company, as you seek to talk to candidates. Because mm-hmm. people, people can smell what they consider to be a phony a mile away. And people have never had more options than they have today about where they work and how they work. You know, like not only are you competing against other companies, but you're also competing against jobs that offer people the ability to do it from their homes. And maybe you don't have that. So that transformational talent, like I just think it's directly linked. Like if you're going to get your share of that, people have to know who you are. You've got to sell kind of that vision. They really have to believe in you or they'll never join you. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. What I would add to that, and in, in that you you gave it back to me in my court, is that in order to attract transformational talent, that means that you're not going to attract them at the level you are today. As you say, they have to be able to take you into the future that you desire, which is that vision you were talking about. And now we're smack right into my camp. And that that's where we get into that inspirational leadership, where you have painted right. a picture for where this bus is going in a way that is so compelling that this person is like, I'm dropping everything. I'm coming over right now. I want to play in your sandbox let's do this thing. Um, right. And I think that is how you, how you, how you attract transformational talent is you've got to paint that picture in such a way that they know they're part of that. And they want to be part of that. Even if they get an offer for less money, they want to play in this, in this sandbox. Yeah. And at least one other thing I would give you, like, like a, a here's a, a free tip for anybody that's looking for transformational talent. One really hot profile. So we do a lot of assessment work in a lot of the searches we do, we do. And a really hot profile right now based on, hey, can people help you get to where you want to go is someone who has low rules orientation, mm-hmm. meaning they, they love the chaos. They don't need you to have an operations manual set up for when they join your company. In fact, they'll probably kind of flinch at that if you showed it to them. So low rules orientation which means they can deal with the chaos. They can help you come up with the plan and the strategy, but high detail orientation, which means they can actually execute on all the great stuff they dream up. That's in the simplest terms. When you're looking at a candidate and you're wondering, Hey, is this transformational talent in front of me? There's a lot of other factors involved, but in the simplest terms, looking for that profile is the best advice I have for people today. 
That is gold, Chris Dunn. Thank you so much. I think what we'll do on that note, let's grab our first break there, and then we'll come back. I want to ask you more about um, the business roundtable position, but let's grab our first break. First, I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Chris Dunn, who is a partner and chief human resource officer at Kinetics, a national RPO recruiting firm headquartered in Atlanta. He's also the founder of two industry-leading blogs, Fistful of Talent and the HR Capitalist, and has written over 100 feature columns at Workforce Management Magazine, and is also the author of Nine Faces of HR. He joins us today from Birmingham, Alabama, where he is on site with a client. We've been talking about his perspective on business and thought leadership and hiring. After the break, we're going to talk about one of his passions, building great managers. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Chris Dunn, who is a partner and chief human resource officer at Kinetics, a national RPO recruiting firm headquartered in Atlanta. He's also the founder of two industry-leading blogs, Fistful of Talent and the HR Capitalist, and has written over 100 feature columns at Workforce Management Magazine. He built a training program for managers of people from the ground up called BOSS, Leadership Skills for the Modern Manager. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So I wanted to ask you before we go on to your your passion for building great managers, Chris. I wanted to sneak in a question about the CEO Business Roundtable position that was offered in August that is getting a lot of um, talk and opinion around it. And it's the one where they reorient the purpose of the corporation from just serving shareholders to serving the full gamut of stakeholders, including employees, customers, suppliers, the community, and shareholders. What's your take on that? What's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think we've seen like repeated like car crashes related to serving <laughs> shareholders only, right? The latest one, you know, with, with WeWork, um, just as people try and build, you know, these organizations and they think about shareholder value only, it seems like it, it always ends up in a bad place or, you know, very often it does. So I can't argue with the logic that says there has to be a more holistic approach and certainly, you know, as a, as a recruiting company, a former HR pro, somebody that thinks about, you know, training managers a lot, and I know we're going to talk about that. I think, you know, just dealing um, and engaging employees in a really like positive way is a great place to start. You know, I, I do believe it sounds cliche, but I do believe that engaged employees who are treated well. And, you know, can kind of see their goals coming to fruition for their career at your company are going to treat your customers better, your clients better. And I think all of that leads to shareholder results. So I, I do believe, and I'd be interested to get your takeaways. 
I think I think a, there's a balanced approach that makes sense to that issue. And I think we've seen if you only focus on shareholder value, it's just car crash after car crash. I think that's a great way to, to, to describe it, a car crash. My perspective on it, just briefly, is that I do think it's it's way more healthy if you focus on the over, serving the overall whole versus just the shareholder. you got a better shot at, at making that. And and I do think that, that we as business people can do better than just serving the shareholders. We can serve the community better, the employees, the customers better. Um, that's right. a great thing about, about business. That there's so much power to it. So I'm very encouraged that that has been offered and of course I do follow conscious capitalism I'm a member here of the organization and the movement here in Dallas um, next week on the radio show I have Dr. Raj Sisodia talking about firms of endearment the book that he co-authored which is essentially some of the beginning of conscious capitalism and also embraces just that particular statement so I'm just trying to talk to as many business people as I can about it to surface you know concerns or a better way forward so thanks for for weighing in with me Sure. Well, let's move on to one of your other great passions. You have a few of them, but one of them you said to me in our initial conversation is that you really like to train great managers. And so first, I want to know where the passion came from and why managers. So the, the passion really comes from my background, at least as an HR leader. I think, you know, serving in Fortune 500 companies all the way down to kind of, you know, venture or equity-backed startups you know, the, you're only as good as your, as your weakest manager. And so many issues that you might have from an employee relations perspective or cultural issues can be resolved by just having better conversations between managers and employees. So kind of the impetus, you know, and kind of why I've, I've always been focused on that is just my serve, service as an HR leader. So I've always been involved in bootstrapping training from the ground up and making sure that managers of people get exposed to, Hey, what do I need to do to really like deliver a quality conversation in this area or that area with my team members who report to me? That's kind of where it comes from. I've just always seen that, you know, great cultures can be derailed by bad managers and bad cultures can be uplifted by managers who just kind of naturally know what they're doing. So I wondered, is there a better way to train, train those managers? And that's kind of why I got involved in, in the boss um, leadership series. Awesome. And I think it probably would be extremely useful for our listeners, Chris, since we do use the word leadership a lot on this program. Uh, You're distinguishing managers from leaders. Yes. Yeah, I really am. So, you know, I, I put the series together. It's called Boss Leadership Skills for the Modern Manager. And you'll laugh at me, Elise. It, it's kind of hard to, you know, we dance this continuum. I do, I do view managers of people as having different needs than true leaders at the executive level. Yes. And basically what I mean by that, Elise, is for managers of people, I just really want you to do great things when you talk to your people. And, hey, do I want you to have a vision for where you want to take your team? Hey, that that would be awesome, and that would be great. But how about we just get through, like, this five-minute coaching conversation? (laughs) You've got to have one of your people about something uncomfortable. You really don't know how to get into it. So I'm kind of looking for a more practical approach to helping managers of people 
have great conversations. That's kind of my distinction between a manager of people and what their needs are versus what you do with visionary leadership and all of the things that are connected to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly the the way this was distinguished, but I remember hearing somebody speak one time saying that, you know, when we talk about managers, what we're usually saying is they're administering the day-to-day work and leaders maybe are inspiring the vision. Managers are handling, you know, the day-to-day workload and trying to remove obstacles so people can get things done. And maybe leaders are considering the the strategy. or So those really, and I think you used the phrase boots on the ground when we spoke last time, which I thought was just perfect yeah. and, and apropos. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to know here is what kind of challenges or mistakes do you see, especially new managers dealing with when they first start out? Well, I think the biggest thing, Elise, and love to get your take on this. I think the biggest thing is they don't know how to get into conversations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go, you know, you're a new manager, maybe you got promoted from within, maybe you joined the company, but maybe it's the first time you've been a manager And when stuff happens where it's going to feel like confrontation to you to have a conversation, most normal people don't like confrontation and they're not sure how to get into the conversation. What invariably happens, Elise, and this is the mistake, the mistake is people wait to have conversations and to coach the people who report to them because they don't know how to get into the conversations. So by waiting everything gets worse, Elise. Mm -hmm. Um, So the biggest mistake is you wait to have conversations, you wait to coach, you wait to give them feedback. You just go right down the list. If you wait, you lose. Um, So that's why I think it's so key that managers have better tools to understand that, hey, they can have conversations and you know what, if it's handled the right way and your personality that you hit certain benchmarks, um, nobody dies and really no one's upset. It feels very natural. So to, to go back to just answer your question clearly and concisely, biggest mistake people make is they wait to have conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, I would agree. I spent a couple of years, Chris, uh, doing a, a fair amount of new leader um, m- new manager training, excuse me, new supervisor management training for various organizations, including Texas Instruments here in Dallas, as as well as in Mexico and Spanish. And what I appreciated about that program was it also got into delegation, time management skills, how to give effective feedback. Um, I think those are really important. And also helping that person step away from being an individual contributor to now someone who is trying to liaise the, the work of other people who used to be their peers. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's a kind of a hard change for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think the other thing, Elise, that the biggest, you know, another mistake managers wait, first of all, they wait. I think secondly, there's this instinct that feedback and like the most important conversations have to be incredibly formal mm-hmm. when they come from a manager. I'm the authority and I've got feedback that may not feel great. So now I have to set up a meeting I've got to send you an invite. It's going to be in the conference room or in my office. Maybe I'm coy and I don't say what the meeting's really about, but it really doesn't have to be that formal. In Mm -hmm. fact, the the best conversations you get the most behavioral change, even if you plan them for days, are going to come off as incredibly informal. And the other key is managers will talk more than they listen. 
Mm-hmm. And the science behind all this shows us that behavioral change, you've got the best shot at getting behavioral change if you talk less than the person you're trying to coach and actually engage to get that behavioral change. Like whatever the situation is, there's a variety of tools. You desperately need that person to engage, talk, talk about their challenges, talk about what their ideas are, and really just soak up some of that airtime. If you do all the talking as a manager, um, you'll lose and you'll like lose a lot and you'll wonder what happened. So we mm. try and deal with all those things in, in the boss series that, that we've developed. Well, and to that end, I wanted to hear more about that and help our listeners understand it as well. So you created and, and run the Boss Leadership Series. So tell us about it. What are the, kind of the nuts and bolts of it? What's it designed to do? How does it work? Yeah, so it's um, so I wanted to do it at least because I'm kind of a human capital nerd. And I <laughs> you are, and I love you for list. that. I know. So I had on my bucket list of things that, hey, I'm tired of like training that's way too formal for managers of people. So I've got a blog. You mentioned it like, you know, in the, in the intro, I've got a blog, a couple blogs. HR capitalist is one fistful of talent. Really I wanted to do training for managers that was in an informal voice that would make them smile. So we've created a series of seven modules that includes things like goal setting, performance management. There's like coaching, like employees there. There's like change management portion of it. Seven modules, they can be configured from anywhere from a half day to two days. We mix them up for different clients. So we run managers through those series, and it's really designed just to help them, again, understand in the most important conversations, understand what the science says about their relationship with their employees and to give them simple tools that they can deliver within the framework of their own personality to get the best results with the people who rely on them for guidance. And what we find across all seven modules, Elise, is that if, Elise, if you're reporting to me and I want to be an effective manager, I've got to make it informal. I've got to make sure that you participate. Um, So in every tool that, that we give across these seven modules, I've got to get you talking because if you talk, it doesn't mean I lose control of the conversation. It just means that you're coming up with some of the ideas. And of course I've got to be nimble enough. If you give me stuff, that's not great. I got to be nimble enough to deflect the stuff. That's not great. Use the stuff. That's good. Use your ideas in whatever situation we're dealing with and then close for what's going to happen in the future. So across all those modules, that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to like identify issues that need to be corrected, things that we need the, the teammate to do and we're trying to teach those managers of people to do it in a real informal way that really engages the employee and really, by the way, makes the employee feel like that manager has what's in it for them, um, them being the employee at the top of their mind. So it's very much a developmental series in that capacity as well. Sounds awesome to me. And of course, you know, I love this kind of work. That's a lot of what I do, this being being able to take people from where they are today to their future. And so you told me on the on the phone, you've had 2,500 managers come through this program. That's astounding. So who stands out as someone to celebrate? Help help us understand why does this stuff work? Well, I think, you know, what's humbling for me, and I'll give you an example. So two weeks ago, I was at exit 18. 
in Valdosta, Georgia. Okay. And Val, Valdosta, Georgia is a great town. Valdosta State University. I've hired people from there. It's about three hours south of Atlanta. It's the last exit before you get in Florida on Interstate 75. But it's a town of like 50,000 people. And we were there to do training for a healthcare company. And what I love about this is we had 25 managers in there. We spent a couple of days with them. And what I love, who stands out, what I would tell you is in every training series we do, and I have trainers that work for me and with me, so I don't do every, every training session myself, but it's amazing, Elise. And this is the thing that really charges my batteries. In any company, if someone is like risen to the level where they're now managing people, there are incredible stars in every company that are really, some of them are naturals and some of them are not naturals, but they're super hungry for the tools. So what I would tell you, like we did this session in Valdosta with 25 managers of people and we had like no joke, at least we had like 10 or 11 stars in their own right in that class. Now, a couple of them were naturals. A couple of them just did it and it, they came out of the womb talking like we want people to talk to employees as managers of people. They just like naturally did it. But the other nine or 10 really took the tools and really just like blossomed over the two day period. And you can just tell that they're going to get it. So who stands out? It's funny, Elise, over half the people in every class we do stand out because they all come from different walks of life. There's a lot of diversity in every class we do across multiple factors, but people get it and they're hungry for the tools. Mm. I love it. I, I love witnessing that transformation. So I'm, I'm right there within your back pocket. Let's grab our last break here, Chris. I'm your I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We'll be on the air with Chris Dunn, who is a partner and chief human resources officer at Kinetics, a national RPO recruiting firm headquartered in Atlanta. He's also the founder of two industry-leading blogs, Fistful of Talent and the HR Capitalist, and has written over 100 feature columns at Workforce Management Magazine and is the author of Nine Faces of HR. He joins us today from Birmingham, Alabama, where he's on site for a client. After the break, we're going to talk about his perspective on finding meaningful work. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Chris Dunn, who is a partner and chief human resource officer at Kinetics, a national RPO recruiting firm headquartered in Atlanta. He's also the founder of two industry-leading blogs, Fistful of Talent and the HR Capitalist, and has written over 100 feature columns at Workforce Management Magazine. He built a training program for managers of people from the ground up called BOSS, Leadership Skills for the Modern Manager. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. 
So, Chris, for this last segment here, I really wanted to extract what I can of that heart and mind and experience of yours about the world of work for those individuals gallivanting across the globe. So, first, let me situate listeners. If you don't know this stat, it's kind of a, kind of amazing that according to Gallup, 85% of the global workforce doesn't want to go to work on Monday morning or whatever, whenever your shift starts. And when in the U.S., that figure is actually 60%. So we're better, but we still have a long way to go. So, Chris, what do you think is missing in today's workforce for those numbers so to I've be so? A, I, I've got a question for you first, Elise. Why do you think the numbers lower in the U.S. that we're more engaged than the rest of the world? What's going on in the rest of the world? Any, any insight in that? I do have insight. I think the reason that we were a little better off here in the States than maybe other parts of the world is that we, we do, I think we do give more focus to it than maybe other parts of the world so far. Um, I it. think I think a lot of the, the American-based organizations do recognize that they need to make work a compelling place for people or else they're, they're just not going to win in, in business. And I think maybe there are other pockets in the world where they, they haven't quite subscribed to that belief system. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, what, what I see in those numbers, Elise, is like when I look at the Gallup stuff and I look at, you know, however you describe it, fully engaged, somewhat engaged, you know, there's a lot of different like tags on that. Really, I'm like, I'm looking for, okay, is somebody willing to give discretionary effort? Yeah. Which means you could, you could say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not dreading going to work. But the, I think the question, at least, would be, is that person going to give either me or the company discretionary effort that they didn't have to give? And discretionary effort, you know, most people know what I'm talking about. It just means, hey, is somebody going to give me kind of their heart, soul, and mind? Tell me, like, figure stuff out today. Or are they just going to do whatever's pushed in front of them? I think it comes down to, like, people, like, you know, some things that are involved. Like, are they intellectually curious? Um, I do think like having a great manager is, is a part of that, that wants to grow you. I think Elise, correct me if I'm wrong, but like some of the questions in what I'll call the Gallup 12, which is kind of those 12 like core questions that are on a lot of engagement surveys that came from Gallup. A lot of people have begged, borrowed and, and stolen them, which I'm sure Gallup's fine with, by the way. Um, like one of them, if you, you recognize this one, at least one of them is at work, I have a chance to do what I do best every day. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that one ring true? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I what do you mean ring true in terms of engagement or from my perspective? Well, I mean, does that, that's certainly part of the Gallup 12. Another one that comes to mind is at work, there's someone um, concerned about my development. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think both those questions kind of speak to the fact that, you know, hey, I know there's going to be bad stuff that I got to do that I don't really enjoy. But is there somebody at my company that kind of knows what charges my batteries and what I really like to do and what my like super skill is, what my ninja skill is? And do they try and help me get in a position where I can use that? So even if I've got some battery draining going on at work, do I get a do I get a chance to charge my batteries every once in a while? I think that probably comes down to that person's manager just trying to understand what motivates somebody. And, you know, none of us have jobs that, you know, are 100% filled with stuff that's just incredible. But we all want jobs where we get a chance to do what we do best. And I think it's like 
has the manager figured out what that is for the individual in question? And when they do, and when they try and give that person a chance to do it, at least, I kind of think you get the discretionary effort, which I think even transcends that 60% number who maybe aren't dreading, or I guess are dreading going into work. So it's 40% that aren't. I think there's a, there's a subset of that 40%, which is really where you want to get their giddy discretionary effort. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I, I, I will tell you that I, I have done uh, employee engagement assessment work over the years. And, and it's really interesting when you look at people that are, you know, strongly engaged versus engaged. That's a big difference right there. And then those that yep. are disengaged versus strongly disengaged. Uh, and you start right. to look at how the strongly engaged pull the organization forward. And, you know, the disengaged and the strongly disengaged pull it back. And right. so having finding a way to, and I love your point about leaders and managers recognizing what does this person love? What lights them up? And how can I give him or her more of that or help them grow into more of that? I think that that moves that needle substantially more in to that 60% figure. And of course, we want it to be higher than that. But, you know, of course, what there's also the, the, the talk these days about helping to enable more employees to do that for themselves. It's not all just on the manager or the leaders to do that and wave the magic wand It's or wand. It's up to the individual employee, too, to take accountability and ownership over their own, um, what we call today, fulfillment, not just engagement. But there's so much that can be done, which, of course, is why I get up every morning. Yeah, and <laughs> There's so much like to do what? out there in the world. You know, one great example I would give you, like the impact of a, of a great manager or leader, Elise, is let's say you're having a coaching conversation. There's parts of the job that just kind of suck. Um, and you do them because you have to, et cetera, et cetera. Not you, Elise. I know your, your job is incredible and rewarding on all levels. But a manager has a conversation with one of their direct reports, and they say, hey, it helped to work it work every day. How can we make this more efficient? Bring me because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to jam down the parts of your job that suck. By the way, that's a disengaging part for the employee. <laughs> right. Let's jam down the percentage of your job that sucks. Like help us get it more efficient so we can give you more time to do the things you're great at. To charge your batteries. That's really the stuff you want to do, but we can't get there until you help me here. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, it's the flavors of just the acknowledgement of the manager that says, hey, I understand this is hard, but here's why we're doing it because I know you're great at this, but we can't get to it until we become more efficient and do things differently here. So there's this, there's this ebb and flow, push and pull, however you want to say it, that, that goes on in the workplace. And I think a good manager is always pointing people to the fact of, hey, I know what you're good at, but we got to deal with all of this sucky stuff and we got to deal with it better, quicker, um, maybe eliminate it so you can get to the parts of the job that you really want to get to. Mm-hmm. And most people don't, most people don't take the time to do that. The great managers do. That's that's incredibly useful, Chris. Very, very. That gives a, a place for managers, leaders, and employees to stand on. So that's that's fantastic. Um, now, speaking of that, you and your team have a tremendous vantage point into the heart and soul of people who are looking to change jobs. So, right. what do you hear people driving to want to to leave their their current employer to seek something new? What's going on? What do they tell you? Well, I mean, money money is always an issue. So people will find themselves in bad spots 
you know, just from an economic perspective with, you know, providing for the family. So money is always there, but once money becomes even and it's off the table, at least it almost always comes down to perceived instability (laughs) with a manager department or company. And it can occur on any of the three levels. So not that our recruiters would ever do this, at least because this would be a form of manipulation. But if we have a great candidate and they're wondering if they want to make the jump to one of our great clients, one of the things we have to understand is what their motivations are and where they have fear, doubt, and uncertainty. And we've got to ask tough questions about that because when, when people move, once the money thing is even or what, you know, once the money thing is not the most important thing, it almost always comes down to perceived instability again at the company level, the department level or the manager level. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. We're getting darn close to being out of time, Chris, but I just want to grab you for this. One of the last questions here is, I'd love for you to share with us any notable initiatives that you've seen companies undertake to make the workplace more compelling for their employees, whether that's in their hiring practices, their development. What are you seeing out there? Well, I think, you know, not not to be incredibly selfish, you know, with, with like what we do, I think... Um, there's a couple of things going on. I think some interesting things, and I, I could speak for an hour about this, but I think companies that are really trying to recruit better and trying to get transformational talent are probably taking the time to speak directly to transformational talent and what they do from an employment branding perspective. So if you look at somebody's career site, rather than simply serving up jobs, um, the companies that are really trying to get directly involved with positions and areas that really drive their business are really trying to tell a lot of stories about people actually doing the work inside the company. And they're becoming incredibly granular about how they market those messages to the outside world. Um, So from a recruiting perspective, we see people getting more aggressive and more granular with their employment brands. And then, you know, I think the other thing is people are really investing in, in development dollars for their workforces and they do that a couple of different ways, right? They, they make development dollars available to the, the, you know, rank and file employee. They're also training their managers, but when they do it for the rank and file employee, you know, it's really interesting. I don't know if you saw the recent Amazon commercials that are out there. They're kind of like, really touting their tuition aid program. And one of the, one of the people in the video, by the way, a form of employment branding, which I just spoke about is basically says something along the lines of, so you're going to pay for my college and then you're going to let me leave. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me in that to me is that people that are spending development dollars, whether it's training, whether it's tuition aid, whatever you have are really doing that, with the message that, hey, we're just trying to make you as good as you can be. And if the time comes in the near future where you have to leave, we're going to shake your hands and we're going to ask you for a referral. You know, if you find something better, but while you're here, we're really going to invest in you. And at least, you know, you know, kind of the outcome of this, you know, the, all the data shows that when you invest and you send that message that we're going to invest without fear of you leaving, a funny thing happens, people actually stay longer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. That, How beautiful. That's, that's, kind of, that, that's kind of the deal. Uh-huh. 
Beautiful, Chris. Um, no, I didn't know about the Amazon ads, but I, I quite like that. Well, we've come to the end of our time together, but I want to always give you the last word, you the, the guest. So in, say, 30 seconds or so, Chris, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? I, you know, what I would say for, and I know you have a huge leadership audience, Elise, I think the more authentic you, bec- you can become and the better coach you are, for all the people who report to you, the more you can be a mentor for two and three levels down the organization, the more open you are, the more informal and authentic you can be where people see the real you, you just become a magnet. And I think in addition to everything that you teach and counsel people on, Elise, that's the one thing that I would focus people to let people feel like whether when they talk to you, your social accounts, whatever it is, your LinkedIn profile, let them feel like they've got a window inside the you, the leader that other, other leaders don't provide. And you'll be amazed what a magnet you become. Fantastic way to finish, Chris. Thank you so much. I am so glad you were willing to come on the air with me and dance with me here on, on the airwaves. Thank you so much for joining your heart, yes. soul, and authenticity. Thank, so, leader, thank you, Elise. You're welcome. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Chris Dunn, Kinetics, the Boss Program for Managers, or Chris's Thought Leadership, visit Kinetics HR. Let me spell that for you. It's K-I-N-E-T-I-X-H-R.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Gleb Sapersky, the author of Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. We talked about his mission to educate about the 100 plus known cognitive biases and to protect leaders from dangerous judgment errors resulting from them by developing the most effective decision making strategies. Next week, we'll be on the air with none other than Santa Ronnie and Mrs. Claus. As we settle into the close of the year and celebrate the magic of the season, we'll be doing a Facebook live stream as well, so be sure and join that. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.